You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcast. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 in Lexington, along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And uh, we're going to start with UK football, Lynn Bowden winning the Paul Horning Award. Also, we will get to um, a little more football news Uh, And then UK basketball, Kentucky welcomes Georgia Tech this weekend, so we'll talk about that. um, Calipari fiddling with his lineup a little bit in that last game. So that's the stuff we'll cover um, on this episode of Locked on Kentucky. We'll begin with Lynn Bowden. Uh, We figured, I mean, it was all but assured that he would win the Paul Horning Award. And, you know, Stoops kind of said after the last game against Louisville, if he doesn't win it, then stop giving out the award. Uh, a lot of Kentucky connections here. Like, they give out the award for high school players each year to someone within the state. And so last year it was Wandale Robinson winning it. Uh, and then this year it was Bo Allen, the Kentucky quarterback commit, who won it. Uh, and then last year the uh, college player who won it was Rondale Moore, who went to um, – Trinity High School in Louisville, but he lived in Indiana and he didn't win Mr. Football. And there was some, uh, actually the year that he didn't win, it was not Wandale's year, but anyway, uh, Rondale Moore and, um, Wandale Robinson, very similar, uh, type players, but you know, just looking at the guys who have won this award, I mean, Rondale Moore is special, obviously, but then you go back the year before that Penn State's Saquon Barkley. Jabril Peppers from Michigan, uh, Christian McCaffrey from Stanford, uh, Tavon Austin out of West Virginia. Uh, these are all guys Odell playing Beckham. in the NFL. Odell Beckham. They're all playing in the NFL right now. You mentioned uh, right before we came on uh, the dude from Stanford who played fullback and um, and linebacker. Oh, and Marisic, yeah. Which I I hadn't thought of him. Even when I saw his name, I thought, Who's that? But then when you told me, I, I immediately remembered because I remembered you know hearing about him and, and seeing him having played both both positions, a two way player in college football, which is so rare. Yeah, so it's it's a big deal to be uh, the national Paul Horning Award winner. Yeah, I actually wrote a big feature on Owen Owen Marisic, um that year because uh, they played Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl when I was covering them. Stanford did. Uh, and talked to Jim Har- Harbaugh for him. He was just a total old school two way player at brutally tough positions, not skill positions, but like a couple of head busting positions, linebacker and fullback. Uh, and and uh, Jim Harbaugh had a cracked helmet of Owen Marisic's in his office Good that Marisic had, uh, and he apparently busted like several helmets, which is knowing what we know now is actually a little bit scary. Uh, yeah, but but that is a. I had honestly not looked at the list of winners of the Horning Award, and that is, is a really pretty remarkable list. It's some some major, major star power. I mean, McCaffrey and some of those guys are, have been Heisman finalists as well um, in their right. years. And uh, one of the things that jumps out to me about the list, too, is that um, nobody really on that list has done more 
than Lynn Bowden, other than Jabril Peppers, who played everywhere. He yeah. was a linebacker, uh, running back, uh, <laughs> returned, you know, had returns. He was a, he was a freak show. Um, but, uh, Lynn Bowden, maybe, maybe of all of that whole list, maybe the most totally versatile guy, um, or the most diverse group of things that he's done. Um, so pretty yeah, good I'd deal. Always, I'd always thought of it as kind of a, a Kentucky award because of Paul Hornig. I just thought it was, it's slanted towards Kentucky and I guess I didn't really pay attention to it much. I just knew the last few years because Wandale won it in state and Rondale Moore won it and didn't really pay attention to the previous winners. But yeah, he joined some pretty elite company right there. I mean, if he's, if he's in the, um, what the, the 90th percentile of these guys, I mean, he would have to be in the, you know, 10% uh, of guys uh, that didn't, you know, pan out. But I mean, all these guys have had, solid NFL careers. I mean, Saquon's just embarking on his. Rondale will get to his. Jabril Pepper's still playing. Christian McCaffrey has had MVP-type seasons. Tavon Austin is still out there doing it. Uh, Odell Beckham, obviously. Brandon Boykin, I don't know where he's playing right now, but uh, I feel like he's still in the NFL. Uh, but yeah. it reads a list of guys who are making it in the NFL. So it just bodes so well for him. Which, by the way, I saw that in the last 25 years, I believe the SEC Network tweeted this out. In the last 25 seasons, like Randall Cobb and um, and Lynn Bowden are the only two guys who have like 300 career yards passing, 1,200 yards rushing, and 1,300 yards receiving. Like no other players in the last 25 seasons of college football have put those numbers together and they both went to Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. They've had two guys like that. Um, one thing it tells you is they need to do a little better job recruiting quarterbacks. <laughs> Probably <laughs> uh, that they end up in these situations where they have to put these guys there. But yeah, his career numbers, Lynn's career numbers, 1,705 yards returning kicks slash punts, two touchdowns, 1,297 yards and 11 touchdowns rushing. 1,286 yards and six touchdowns receiving, 422 yards and two touchdowns passing. So uh, he has accounted for uh, more than 4,000 total yards. Um, I guess guess actually almost 5,000. So uh, in his career, that's quite a a lot for a guy who really, I mean, the first year at Kentucky, he was just kind of eased into it. He didn't do a ton. Um, and so to do all that in three years is, is amazing and do it in so many ways. Well, back, uh, what's different about Lynn Bowden and Randall Cobb is back in Randall Cobb's situation, Mike Hartline was the quarterback. And Mike Hartline uh, has been the best quarterback uh, Kentucky has had since. Like, nobody's been as good as him. Uh, Steven Johnson has, you know, did some nice things. Terry Wilson had a nice year. Lynn Bowden rushing the ball. Uh, definitely, but as far as a passer, someone who's distributed the ball and had the kind of numbers um, that say success with completion percentage above 60%, with throwing for 3,000 yards, throwing for 30 touchdowns and you know low interceptions, nobody has done it since Mike Hartline at Kentucky. And when he was a young quarterback, uh, they were trying to break him in, and they essentially told him, look, we don't have enough weapons around you 
to allow this to happen right now, and we just need to win games. And so we're putting the ball in Randall Cobb's hands on every play, and we'll revisit it. And Hartline was uh, – he did didn't, not endear himself. Well. <laughs> no, he did not endear himself to the fans very well at all because when he was asked about it, he was honest. And that was the problem is he basically said, yeah, it sucks to lose your job as a quarterback because nobody else can do their job around you. He put it bluntly like that. And so it came off as, well, he's throwing his entire team under the bus. But that's what he was told. So he was just being honest about it. It was one of those moments where you want honesty and then you get it and you get crushed for it. So um, it was just one of those things for him. Uh, but he turned out to be just fine. Whereas, you know, in Lynn Bowden's situation, it was the opposite. It was Kentucky was thrown into a situation where they had no other choice, but because of the talent around Lynn Bowden, they were able to be successful with that offensive line and with those other running backs they have. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, – sorry, I was trying to look up something here, and now I've lost it. Uh, what? Well, while you're looking that up, I'll, I'll go on and, and, and just quickly mention – before we go to break that, you know, Eddie Grand's name had been floated around out there as replacing Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. Uh, Lane Kiffin, of course, now at Ole Miss. And uh, Stadium's Breck McMurphy has reported that Willie Taggart is going to be the next coach at FAU. Do um, we trust this? Brett also told us that Kentucky I know. was playing. <laughs> I know. No. Brett's, Brett's a good reporter, but uh, yeah, he's the guy who said uh, Kentucky was playing in the, in the uh, Gator Bowl. Little um, did he know Tennessee's Phil Fulmer was still not uh, made up his mind. Uh, exactly. Uh, one of the, there's two things I was looking up. One, I was doing the math. Uh, 4,710 total yards accounted for for Lynn Bowden in his career and 21 touchdowns. Um, so he's got a chance, an outside chance to get to 5,000. And I don't, I don't know like how you couch that because you there'll be total yards. There's all-purpose yards, you know, and none of those take into account all the things Lynn Bowden does. Uh, like total yards is like rushing and receiving. Uh, all-purpose is, you know, rushing, receiving, return yards, and they don't uh, yeah. take into account passing. So uh, I don't know what you call that. I guess the total yards accounted for, 4,700 in his career, um, is a lot. The other thing uh, that I was going to say is you're talking about best quarterback sense and, and Hartline and, in terms of throwing the ball, um, being the best of them, uh, Patrick Tolles did have, I think, a, almost a three thousand yard year. He had, a, I know, he had a three thousand total uh, offense year. That that's a guy that surprised me. That I thought, you know, he was just going to keep getting better and and sort of be one of the great guys they've had here. Yeah, um, he may have been a victim. He may have been a genuine victim of supporting cast. Uh, you know, I think if Patrick Tolles had played behind. The curtain, one of the last three or four offensive lines at Kentucky, and had the running backs that they have now. You know, life yeah, that was a big a, part of it. It was life, absolutely a huge oh, part of it. He had no time to throw the ball. Yeah, life might have been a lot different uh, for Patrick Tolles. Um, he had yeah, twenty fourteen. He had twenty seven hundred yards passing, and uh, but his completion rushing. percentage was still down there. Yeah, fifty seven percent. Had three thousand total yards, twenty total touchdowns. Um, but the game he had against Mississippi State with Dak Prescott and they were ranked number one and came to Commonwealth Stadium. That was maybe his best game, and it was still in a loss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he had some moments. Um, but the other thing is, the guy who was on pace to be the best uh, in that time since Hartline was Maxwell Smith. 
Um, yeah. I wrote a story uh, about his first three games. I think it was. Um, yeah. He threw Ole for Miss, like a, like a threw yeah. for like eleven hundred yards, and then he got hurt. Uh, was it two thousand eleven? Uh, that sounds about right. Two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Yeah. In four games, really in three games, I think he threw for almost a thousand yards, um, and then he got hurt. And he was a guy that I really thought, like I, he just he just got beset by injuries by the time it was all said and done. But he opened the season, threw for two eighty on Louisville, three fifty four on Kent State, three hundred and thirty two uh, on Western Kentucky, um, you know, and had basically a thousand yards passing in three games, and then he yeah. Then he goes down, and, and it was a mess from there. That was obviously the year Joker got fired, and they did not uh, – they won one game the rest of the season after Maxwell Smith got hurt. So, Well, and I know Randy Sanders was really high on Reese Phillips. What was, Reese Phillips, and he wound yep. up going to Wyoming. He had a pretty good uh, Montana. 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 Yep. He wound up finishing in Montana, but I remember seeing his numbers were pretty good there. Yeah, so. He got hurt too. He had a bad injury yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's Max, tough. Maxwell Smith finished up at San Diego State and had a good um, run there as well. Yeah, and uh, Patrick Tolles finished up at Boston, Boston College, College and went to a bowl game there. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's quarterback recruiting has been a weird thing for Kentucky. It's not like they haven't had some guys. I mean, certainly guys that showed promise early on or were highly ranked. Morgan Newton. Uh, gosh, I can't even remember the other. The same year Morgan Newton came in, they brought in another four-star quarterback, Ryan Mosakowski. Yes, Ryan Mosakowski. Neither of them obviously panned out. Uh, and Mosakowski went on to like a JUCO or something and just like threw it all over the place, had all kinds of yards. Because I remember after and I'm not that, sure you know, he ever fans resurfaced, being like, right? "Yeah," because fan- he didn't that I know of. And then fans were saying, "How could you let him go? Look what he's doing now." You know? Yeah. Um, but that's kind um, of that's kind of been the story. But yeah, I mean, then you have you have Patrick Tolles, who's a four star kid, and and again shows some promise early in his career at Kentucky, and kind of flames out. And Drew Barker, who was a right. highly regarded you know U.S. Army All American, and you know you couldn't have convinced me at halftime of that season opener against Southern Miss I know. that that he wasn't about to have a huge season, and then he basically breaks his back. Yeah. Uh, and Quits it's all, football. All, all downhill from there. So, yeah. you know, when, when it's funny because people come, the same people that complain about like, you know, we got to go to a wide receiver at quarterback because we don't have enough quarterbacks. And then now it's like, do we have too many quarterbacks? Are they, <laughs> you know, are they, are some of them going to transfer? I, I say you take every good quarterback you can get to commit yeah. and let it sort itself out on the, you know, on the practice field. Cause uh, Kentucky's had some bum luck with Absolutely. having quarterbacks that you thought would be good pan out. Well, we're uh, we usually take a break around the eight or nine minute mark. We're fifteen minutes in, folks. So uh, <laughs> I didn't even yeah. see that. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to jump to this break quickly here and uh, talk some basketball when we get back. UK Georgia Tech coming up. We'll discuss when the Locked On Kentucky podcast continues. <laughs> Are locked on Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, so now let's jump to basketball. Kentucky takes on Georgia Tech Saturday, and that means the return of former VMI guard Bubba Parham. Yes, he transferred to Georgia Tech. 
if you're going, Bubba Parham, where do I know that name? Well, he came into Rupp Arena last season and hit 10 of 16 threes, dropped 35 points in Rupp Arena, and he transferred to Georgia Tech, and his parents, something with his family and medical condition, they granted him a waiver to, to play immediately, and he has. Uh, the thing about his situation, though, this season uh, is Georgia Tech's point guard has gotten hurt, Jose Alvarado. He played the first game, then he missed a game, then he played again November 20th against Georgia, and that was it. He hasn't played since. He's been out with a high ankle sprain, and that has forced Parham to go to the point guard uh, spot. And, you know, Josh Pastner said that's really hurt us, and Parham has not been the same kind of scorer that he was last season at VMI, this season at Georgia Tech, and that's a big part of it. So uh, for UK fans, Hopefully uh, that pans out again on uh, Saturday that uh, his scoring is hurt because he's having to play point guard. Yeah, I was shocked to pull up his bio and see he's averaging seven points a game. Um, you know, he, and some of that, I, I don't think it's just the move to point guard. Some of it is a step up in competition. Now, yes, yeah. he scored a bunch on Kentucky, but uh, you know, every good player on an underdog team seems to do that. But they've also played already a pretty healthy schedule. Um, they played right out of the gate. Um, NC State, play, right? They played NC State, Georgia on the road, Arkansas, Nebraska, mm-hmm. Syracuse. I mean, they've played mostly power conference teams already. Yeah. Um, they are uh, four and three, um, lost by lost by thirty four to Syracuse. Yeah, they got last destroyed. Time out. Buddy Bayheim hit like six threes, and another guy for uh, Syracuse also hit six threes. They hit like fourteen in that game against Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, and and what did you you had it pulled up already? What did you say Bubba scored against Kentucky in last year? Thirty five uh, points. Thirty five. So I'm trying to do the math. How many he had? Eleven, six. That's seventeen, and six is twenty three, and ten is thirty three. So I'm going back to his last four games. He scored more in one game against Kentucky. Than he scored in his last four games at Georgia Tech combined. Wow. So he's certainly not been what he was. um, No, because even – and that was not an anomaly for him last season against Kentucky. He he scored, I think, 30 points at least five times last season playing in the Southern Conference. Uh, But he was uh, one of the top players in that conference. So averaged 21 and a half a game last year. Yeah, yeah. And so average, he made almost four three-pointers a game and shot 40% from three. This year, he's averaging one three-pointer a game made and 27% from three. So he, he's, he's really taken a hit uh, yeah. in the stats. So I wanted to um, test your knowledge here on, on this. Don't look it up. All Don't right. do it. Um, but Bubba Parham's 35 points is the fourth most by an opposing player in the Calipari era. Now, I know for a fact – that you witnessed at least two of these. I don't, I don't think you witnessed the other one. Uh, but the other three guys, and, and the one you saw, I didn't see in person. I mean in person. So uh, who, who do you think is number one? Who is the number one in the Calipari era for points scored? Got to be like Elston it, Turner, right? Yeah, there you go. He scored for, like 40. 40. Yeah. He scored 40 right on the nose from Texas A&M. That was on January 12th of 2013. And that, this isn't just in Rupp Arena. It's just anywhere uh, okay. a player has scored. And so then number two, I don't think you were covering UK yet. Uh, but but who's who's like your your next guess? Oh, my gosh. Uh, 
I know one of the guys for North Carolina in the game, Monk had 47, and somebody else, somebody else for Carolina in that game had a huge game. Uh, well, that, nope, they're not on the list. Okay. Nope. Um, so one of them is an SEC opponent in 2017. Okay. It was on oh, the it was Moody? No, it was J.J. Frazier from Georgia. Oh, okay. He had 36 points. That's right, February I forgot 18th. about him, yeah. In 2017, but number two, uh, I remember this because I was at the game. Is Sam Houston State's Corey Almond would never have guessed that one was not he there had then. 37 points and he hit 11 threes. That was oh, November wow. 19th, 2009. So that was Calipari's very first season and the first month of his first season. Yeah, the very first month. Of, I mean, they had to fight off uh, Ohio earlier or Miami of Ohio. Oh, that that I do know. I wasn't here then, but I know I know that opposing coach had a great post game uh, rant. Yes, he did. Because um, it was, it was basically <laughs> basically like, what did you think was going to happen? They were way better right. than us. Yeah. Oh, he goes like, well, let me see. John Wall became John Wall. Yeah, he had that Demarcus great accent. Cousins became Demarcus Cousins. That guy's dead now, by the way. Oh um, well, okay. Yeah, longtime coach there at Miami, Ohio. But he, yes, he had a. How did it get away from me? Oh, that's right. Somebody asked you, how did it get away from him? <laughs> yes, it was. It was It was great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I remember covering that game because John Wall hit the game winner. Yeah. For uh, his, his first, first game. game. Yeah. yeah. So that, he had, had to sit out maybe the first couple games? He had, yeah, he had to sit out for, I can't remember what it was, but, yeah, it was, you know, some NCAA thing that he had to sit out. And so he didn't get to play the first game. And there was concern. Uh-oh. But, no, that was his debut. Uh, so, Elston uh, Turner, J.J. Uh, uh, Frazier, and the kid no, from Sam Houston State? Well, number two is uh, the Sam Houston State guy, Corey okay. Almond. Wow. And, um, and then J.J. Frazier. I would have thought that Bubba the, Parham. That's interesting. I would have thought that the kid uh, – I know Moody from uh, Ole Miss put a big number on him at one point. Uh, yeah. And I was, I'm thinking – the North Carolina had. I somebody. feel like Devin Downey scored like thirty five oh, points yeah. at some point. Yeah, you know, that's uh, South that, Carolina. That's Gary uh, Gary Parrish's go to line. Shouts out Devin Downey uh, all the time from that game. Um, <laughs> Who is the guy from North Carolina you're talking about? The big white dude with black hair oh, that, that uh, hit the the putback shot. Not not Luke May. Uh, not Luke May. No. Uh, gosh, now it's going to drive me insane. One of the guards. Yeah. I'm gonna find it. All right. Well, while you're looking at that, we will uh, we will update that on the other side of this break. We're gonna talk a little bit about lineup change for Calipari in that last game. Uh, do we see that carrying over into this next game? I got uh, it. I got uh, it. All right. All right. Well, wait. Hold it. That's is a great tease. This okay. is a great tease to hold the, hold the audience for the uh, for the next segment here. Let me tell you, if you're a Spotify listener, you Spotify Wrapped to show us your top locked on podcasts for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and at D R I E F F E R and at Kyle Tucker underscore A T H on Twitter, and we will share and retweet. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. All right, so we had the tease, Kyle. Uh, who is the guy from North Carolina that you thought may have been in the top four of opposing players in the Calipari era? Uh, to score the most points. He's got to be like fifth in this list. Uh, it's Justin Jackson. 
mm. uh, from North Carolina. He had 34 in that game, and it just was a total bat. That game was so fun, and we're as we're about to hit the Vegas for the champions or the uh, CBS Sports Classic, the same event uh, that this was, the same arena that this was in in 2017. Uh, reminded of just what an epic game that was, and what a fun team that that group. You know, Fox Monk, oh, uh, yeah. Um You know, if they if they just find a way to beat that North Carolina team when they rematch in the in the Elite Eight, I think Kentucky wins the national title. I think they I were agree. one of the two best teams in the country, and they had the the crazy path where they had to play uh, they had to play UCLA, where they had to play uh, Wichita State. To get mm-hmm. to get out of the first weekend, and Bam had the block to save that. Then they had to play UCLA and Lonzo Ball in the Sweet 16, uh, and then they had to play North Carolina. They had to play all those teams just to get get to the Final Four, and and had the the Luke May buzzer beater. But that yeah. was the second classic that they'd played because that game in Vegas was in regulation, 103 to 100, a wow. regulation college basketball game was 103 to 100. It was probably the most fun regular season game I've covered uh, in nine years covering Kentucky. And Malik Monk scored 47 that day mm-hmm. with, with only five free throw attempts. Wow. And only made three. He I was mean, just, they just got up and down. They were just running remember, and gunning, yeah. Yeah, I remember Roy Williams, you know, saying afterward, yeah, this is this is what we like. Just let them go. You know, good athletes out there playing and just let them go play basketball. And that's... That's what they did, and then after that, no other team was willing to allow Kentucky to do no. uh, that kind of style, play that kind of style. They wanted to do that, and that that just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, but just Justin Jackson, he, he put up, scored thirty four, had thirty four points on just seventeen shot attempts, and uh, nobody had anything to say about him after that game because Malik Monk had forty seven and had the clutch three at the end when Cal oh, was saying, wow. "Drive it, drive it, drive it," and he pulled right. up. And, can to three instead. Eight threes he made that day. Well, he would have had, he'd have to be fifth because Bubba Parham is fourth with thirty five, so that's thirty four. So that was a pretty. I feel like that was a pretty good guess. I got. Uh, yeah, I think you, you you're pretty good. I mean, Corey Almond. I would. I wasn't here for that. I can't be blamed. Nobody's getting Sam Houston State. I mean, I got to give you credit for Elston Turner. You had that right off the top. Which um, uh, so now let's move on to um, what John Calipari is going to do Saturday against. Uh, Georgia Tech. By the way, I'm not too worried about this this matchup here. Uh, but in that last game, he started Johnny Juzang over Khalil Whitney, and afterward, he just was praising Juzang for making the biggest play of the game. That um, uh, Fairley Dickinson had gone on like a 7-0 run, and Juzang followed his own shot and got a rebound and had a put back and got fouled and stopped the bleeding. And um, and then late in the game, there was another play by Juzang where he just hustled and you know flew out of bounds trying to go to. Uh, Came close to flying out of bounds, saving a ball, and you know they were up thirty with three minutes to go or something. And then Calipari also praised Whitney for having just a great attitude. He said, "I went up and hugged him afterward in the locker room and told him you're just you just got a great attitude." And then um, that had to be all about the mind games because in that same press conference, he's critical of you know, Nick Richards calling him arrogant after he had had his fourth double-double in the last seven games. And E.J. Montgomery has 25 points, a new career high, and he's talking about, well, he gave up too many baskets. And it's just so um, always interesting to see how he plays those mind games through the media with each of his players. Yes. 
they are constant and ongoing all season long and you can you can sort of tell who needs a lift or who needs a kick in the butt based on what Cal decides to talk about and who because you know we've all joked about I ask a question about a specific player and he says yeah but let me tell you about and then he goes on his rant about <laughs> right. whatever yeah. player he wants to talk about that day and it's always it's always targeted um, the Juzang thing is interesting to me that he got the start and he said basically because he was fighting and, um, you know, his numbers are, are generally underwhelming. He's averaging basically two and a half points and two and a half rebounds right now. Not certainly right. not what Johnny Juzang expected, but in the last two games, he's played a combined 35 minutes. He's got nine points, five rebounds, a couple steals and an assist and zero turnovers. Um, yeah. And so he's, his shots still aren't falling. He's one for five in that game. Uh, he's only made two three-pointers all season. But I think he's impressed that staff by, like, mentally staying with it, by just not checking out. Because this is that time of year that, that that highly rated guys who come in as freshmen and are struggling, this is that time of year where they might check out uh, a little bit. Right. And it seems like he's totally stayed engaged. Uh, I, it is still my working theory that he's the unnamed player that Cal Perry said came to his office and said, you know, I'm not playing well enough, but it's all on me. Um, may mm-hmm. have been Maxie, may have been Whitney, but um, I, I just think he's really impressed everybody there with the way he's kind of just put his nose to the grindstone and said, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Uh, yeah. in, the mean t- in the meantime, I'm going to do these other things. Because the guy, the guy's got a beautiful shot. Um, and so the fact that they haven't dropped yet, um, is a little surprising, but every time you hear him talk about it, every time he's asked about it, he just goes, yeah, I'm not worried. Like law of averages, I'm a shooter. I'm a good shooter. They'll start to go down. Um, one thing I would note, and we thought we've tied a lot of uh, free throw shooting to, uh, you know, to, to overall shooting. He hasn't mm-hmm. missed a free throw this season. He's six of six at the free throw line. Um, yeah. but two for 13 from three, 15%. Not not the shooter they thought they were getting uh, when they signed him, but I, I I still believe he'll be that guy at some point uh, this year. Yeah, he needs he does need a little more time and in rhythm and all those kind of things. And then you know with Khalil Whitney, he's a guy they really need uh, to be uh, defensively first. I mean to yes. to be what they want to be, his length. And that and the spot he occupies on the floor, he should be able to really bother teams defensively uh, from that position. And then, if they could get a little bit of scoring from him, that would that would clearly help. But uh, yeah, they—he's a guy that they need to see, you know, kind of come on as they hit the conference season. Yeah, yeah. To me, I, I did a, a live Q and A for subscribers today. Um, we had like 60 questions or something rapid fire over a course of an hour. And one of them was about Whitney and, and do I still think he can be an X factor? Calipari keep talking about him as an X factor. Can he still be that? Um, that was the big thing to me. Like none of the other stuff matters. If, if at six, six with a seven foot wingspan and a 40 some inch vertical, uh, if he'll just commit to being a defender and a rebounder, yeah. Um, then he will play a lot, and they will be really good. Uh, I think he has a chance to take them to the next level defensively because you know Hagens is going to be really good on the ball, and you know that Maxie and Quickly are going to defend the other guard. Um, but if you've got a wing, you've got a, a long, athletic wing who's also locking down out there, then nobody on the perimeter can do anything. 
Um, right. And I think I think that's big. And then when he's when he's playing some at the four, and even when he's at the three, he's got to he's got to attack the glass because he can he can run and jump faster and higher than anybody on the floor just about any night that he's out there. Uh, and so that guy needs to be the guy that's just gobbling up everything uh, he can even possibly get to. And he hasn't really been that guy yet. Um, so can he? That, I think that's a thing he can just. Uh, decide to do you know without saying oh what how does he fit offensively that that's something that's a little more complicated but it's not very complicated for Khalil Whitney to just commit to I'm going to be a great defender and rebounder Uh, I think I think he can and probably will do that at some point it'll click yeah not all not all young guys in fact most young guys don't uh buy into defense early on uh and I think he's one of those guys in fits and starts you know he was a guy in high school who decided in a game against R.J. Barrett uh I want to check I want to check him, his high school t- coach told me, and just sh- totally shut him down. Uh, but he didn't do that every night. And, right. And so, yeah, it's one of those things you learn in college. All right, well, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of the Locked On Kentucky podcast. We didn't – there's one thing we didn't get to, and we'll, we'll save it for tomorrow. Um, it's really good. It has to do with a former U.K. football player messaging Kyle uh, about something we talked about on this podcast. He was listening – Oh, yeah. And he said, hey, don't forget about me. And so we'll save that for tomorrow. We'll tell you who that is. And it's uh, it's pretty interesting and pretty funny. Uh, so we'll talk about that, among other things, including more Kentucky basketball. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to tweet at us, uh, if you've got any questions or anything like that, you want to get into us, you can do that. I'm at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R, and Kyle is at? Oh, sorry. This is, yeah, this is where you say your Twitter handle. <laughs> I'd already checked out mentally. <laughs> at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH. There you go. Thanks for listening, folks. You are Locked On Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.